Her Health Ed Podcast is a safe space for women and girls to share, learn, and empower each other. Our goal is to raise awareness about health issues that affect you, your mom, your daughter, or your best friend. Tune in each week to hear stories from real women and the latest advice from health professionals. From pain and struggle to relief and triumph, we'll pull back the curtain on health issues that affect women. Expect a lot of laughter, a few tears, mixed in with a whole lot of love. So while you're on the road, sipping your morning cup of coffee, or having an evening glass of wine, listen in, then share your comments. Our next guest is Katie Lakoff, a physical therapist at Star PT in the Green Hills area of Nashville. She earned her doctorate of physical therapy from the University of Tennessee Medical Center and continues to pursue certifications and education specializing in pain neuroscience and women's health. Katie is devoted to empowering women to seek the care they deserve so that they can reach their goals while improving important physical function. Thanks for tuning in. You won't want to miss this. Okay. Thank you, Katie, for joining us today. We're so excited about you sharing a little bit about what you do and in helping women um, deal with pain issues or period issues. Would you mind sharing with us how you got into pelvic floor therapy and what you do on a daily basis? Yeah, of course. Um, so I'm in an orthopedic setting and that's what I did to start out, which I do love. Um, I knew that I wanted a niche. I knew I wanted to do mostly one thing, but I really wasn't sure what that was coming out of school. So ortho was a great way for me to keep my skills kind of, but also figure out what exactly was going to be my area of expertise. Um, so I liked the little bit of pelvic floor class that I had when I was in PT school, which was only like four weeks. It wasn't very extensive. And that's actually, I've learned since more than a lot of people get in just PT school. So you hmm. really have to go on. There's not a lot in school. There's becoming more because there's hmm. more questions on boards now, but hmm. I mean, I'm talking like 10 questions. So this isn't something that is really covered in school. Um, but I went, I did continuing education right off the bat. My company's really great about pushing continuing education because that's, you need it for your license, but it's also going to make you a much better clinician. Mm -hmm. So, um, I went to these courses and I saw all these people really passionate about what they were teaching me and I liked it. I did. Um, I'm going to get my MDT soon and I have a couple other things on the horizon, but it was never to the point where I was as on fire as these people were talking to me. And I was like, I've got to find, like, there has to be something for me. So I go to my first pelvic floor course and I convinced my boss, I was like, can I please go? And she's so supportive and great. And she said, yes, go. I was almost in tears the first like two hours because I found it. I finally had like my wow. thing that that was going to be what I wanted to dedicate my profession and my career to. Um, so I like at the end of that weekend, it was just the, my first weekend course at was five-year goal was to have my certification, which would take me a while. And then a 10-year goal was to be teaching and going around the country like these women were and making other pelvic floor therapists. So um, that was only within the last few months that I've like really dove into this and mm -hmm. want to make this my career, basically. So wow. that's kind of how I got started. Um, wow. That's Thankfully, awesome. stars really important, uh, really 
supportive of that. So um, attending some more Herman and Wallace courses as soon as I can. So I called my mom, my sister, my best friend crying. And I was like, <laughs> I found my passion. It was so dramatic, just like me. So it was great. I love how you set the goals though. How you, you know, when you sat in the classroom and they're talking about things and it was like this overwhelming sense of this is it. Yeah. I know so many women, it's like, we're looking for that thing uh-huh. and to actually be in a career that you enjoy and love and then find that specialty that matches your, your purpose and your passions and your desire to help other women, I think is just phenomenal. Katie, what was the thing that really struck you that made kind of the turning point for you with pelvic floor therapy and getting interested in that? Was there something throughout that process that just stuck out to you? Was it more, I mean, it sounds like it was kind of an emotional experience. So (laughs) is there something that really left out at you like a story or just some type of, I don't know, I guess I'm just curious or if it was just kind of the whole experience. Yeah, I think I really connected with um, just the female empowerment of it all. Um, I have hypothalamic amenorrhea So I've kind of been on a journey myself within the past, well, two years, but really the past year of trying to get answers and get somebody to help me figure out what's going on. Mm. And I really loved the community aspect of the pelvic floor community and how, you know, we're women helping women. And I'm not trying to say that pelvic floor therapy is only women because obviously it's men too. But there's a big push for like, okay, ladies, we can do this Mm. together. We can. And I really appreciated that. And I think that really like spurred me on, like, I want to help my ladies and the same way that I want someone to help me. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Um, so you said a really big, uh, two words (laughs) and I'm going to, I want to back, let's, let's break that down. So you struggle with a condition called hypothalamic amenorrhea. Mm-hmm. So hypothalamic amenorrhea. Okay. Um, basically, I, is. I got you. I don't have a period and I'm not cycling and there's really not an anatomical explanation why. Wow. So I went off, um, when I was in PT school, I started birth control about six months before my husband and I got married. So I was like, yeah, that's what you're supposed to do. You start oral contraceptives. I had never taken them actually. So it was kind of a whole new world to me. Started Mm -hmm. taking them, um, took them for the first probably year of our marriage. And then I decided, well, my husband and I decided that we weren't trying to get pregnant, but Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't want to take oral contraceptives my whole childbearing life. So, um, we went off and we we're just going to kind of track it in other ways. Mm-hmm. And so I'm waiting and waiting to have a period. Everyone's kind of like, yeah, the first, it's normal the first few months. And then that passes the first six months passes. And then the first nine months passes and I met my PCP and saying, I haven't had a period. And she's like, well, that's not good. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, Fast forward, I think at this point, like six doctors, a good 30 blood work sessions, a brain Mm. MRI, three or or four vaginal ultrasounds. Mm, And um, yeah, I think think that was it. But I still don't really have a good why. So I think hypothalamic amenorrhea is like the IBS 
of um period Period conditions because it's like well we don't really know why um I was told that I'm basically like a 12 year old so I have all the parts everything looks good it's all there but my brain is not sitting that signal to say hey let's have a cycle let's do that and there's really not a reason why so the brain MRI was to make sure it didn't have a tumor um I've been to two reproductive endocrinologists and it's really frustrating Mm -hmm. because we're not actively trying to get pregnant so they just kind of brush me off and it's like well come back to me when you want IVF and that's not really acceptable for me because a period is a vital sign and I'm not having one so why am I not and we should probably try to figure that out um I go to an endocrinologist, another, a new one that's just a regular endocrinologist, not a reproductive one. So I'm hoping maybe she comes at it from a different point of view. Um, basically, my estrogen is postmenopausal, and I would have hot flashes and night sweats. And my patients would be talking about their menopause symptoms, and I'd be like, "Girl, me too. I feel you. That's awful." Be like, "You're way too young for that." They're probably looking at you like, "What?" Yeah, I'd be like, you're t- I'm 28, FYI. So I'm 28, and they're like. There's no way, you know, that I, like, I get it. You have to get yeah. out of bed and your yeah. sheets are sweaty. It's awful. Yeah. So, um, I have, I'm getting a DEXA skin soon just to make sure that my bones aren't awful. Cause that's really the biggest risk right now besides yeah. not yeah. being able to get pregnant is my bones. Hmm. Um, so there's that. And then I, now I'm on these patches, these estrogen patches. So I take those uh. and, um, progesterone. Mm -hmm. once Mm -hmm. a day for the first 12 days of every month Mm. and yeah so that's kind of I did the whole I read a lot of books about it um I did the whole gain a lot of weight thing and Mm. stop exercising Mm -hmm. so I gained about 30 pounds Mm. and I think the most demoralizing part of that was my estrogen levels did not change one single bit so um I'm not sure why And I would love an answer. And I think that kind of all of that was going on or has been going on. And that's when I really like found pelvic floor therapy Mm. because another part of mine is, you know, I, my lubrication is awful. Right. So, and that causes pain. So it kind of rang true and I understood, could understand my patients better, I think. Wow. That's, thank you for bringing awareness to this condition because I didn't, I didn't realize, you know, you hear about amenorrhea or things, you know, women not being able to have their period, but it's usually like they're skipping their period every few Mm -hmm. months or something like that. And, and to actually be sort of going through a menopause at your age um, and I know that I've had a medically induced menopause through um, Lupron medication um, because of the endometriosis. And I, I know how horrible that few months was for me and the fact that you're having to deal with that all the time. And then the infertility component on top of it. Um, and I, I mean, I really hung on to what you said about the reproductive endocrinologist because a lot of times it is really just a place for you to go and for them to say, okay, we're ready for IVF because that's the next step. And it's like, well, no, I would like to be healthy. I would like yeah. for my body to function mm-hmm. like, like uh, how a woman's body is supposed to function naturally. And, um, 
I, yeah, I can really connect with you on that because that's, that's been a frustration for me. And it's like, you're not really being cared for. So who do you go to, Right. you know, if you're OBGYN or you're, you know, reproductive endocrinologist is not willing to, to go down that path with you to get you healthy, not just to get you pregnant. Right. It's like, I did, I'm not just put on this earth to bear children. I would also like to be healthy. Mm. And if I was just getting pregnant, how is that making sure that I'm okay? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's not every woman's only goal in life. So can you please stop acting like that's the only reason why I'm here? I'm a, I want to be a healthy individual too. Yeah, that's right. So fingers crossed for the regular endocrinologist. <laughs> well, I will be thinking about that because that's, and that, that makes me think that that's, that's probably a good, <laughs> it's not easy to find an endocrinologist. Um, I mean, I, I know they're like in bigger cities, you have more of them, but it's, I know it can take time. And I've, we've talked to a few women who have hormonal, um, hormonal issues or imbalances that they've, they've spent a lot of time at the endocrinologist and some have found answers. Others are still searching and it's, you know, it just, it really, really stinks when you can't figure out, um, how to make your body function the way it's supposed to. Yeah. Yeah. Cause we're so, I'm very controlling personality and it's like, this has, I have no control over this. No. Like I, I, then I, I think I tried to do my part per se. Like I, I gained weight and I stopped running and I did the things that I was supposed to do mm-hmm. and that didn't do anything. So it's, it's a real lesson in letting go. Yeah. Oh gosh. <laughs> Just, um, of did you have a period earlier on in life? And then it just after birth control, it stopped? Mm-hmm, I did. Now okay. I should say that there were other factors. So I, I was a collegiate athlete. So I played soccer. I was at a high level of wow. performance and I was just fine. I was also in an environment where we ate and we, we mm-hmm. ate a lot and we didn't care. You know, we ran a lot. We ate a lot. We were healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, but in PT school, you know, I think I got that, oh, I got to be skinny for my wedding. So I mm-hmm. dropped not even a lot of weight, maybe 15 pounds or so. Um, on a healthy size, I dropped 15 pounds and, you know, started restricting more. And at that time, there were a lot of other stressors as well, moving, taking mm-hmm. boards, getting married. Some of those were good stressors, but mm-hmm. stressors nonetheless. So um, I think it was and that's a lot of what I've read. It's a combination of things. So mm-hmm. I got off birth control. I lost some weight. I, I did restrict my eating, which looking back, I see that that would have been an issue too, that I'm at least thankful in all of this, mm-hmm. that I was able to recognize I was suffering from restricted and disordered eating. And I was able to kind of pull myself out of that. Not to say I don't still have those thoughts, but I mm-hmm. have like a plan in place for when I have those thoughts. Mm-hmm. And I'm lucky with a supportive husband too, um, who helps me with that. So, um, I think it was a lot of things. Mm. The problem is I don't know what the thing is to fix it. (laughs) It's, um, we've talked to a a lot of women about certain conditions or the conditions that they may be struggling with and finding that it's like, it's not just the one thing it may be surrounding, um, issues that maybe all feeding into it. And also that it's, it's not your fault in a sense, like how your body may respond. You, you don't know all the time, like with other, um, conditions like maybe hypertension or something. Hey, you, 
you overeat on salt, you know, your blood pressure might skyrocket and it's going to be a, a, you know, an issue for you later on. But a lot of these conditions with um, these female related conditions are just such a mystery in and of themselves. And we kind of give ourselves a hard time if our body's not functioning the way it's designed to, or if we run into an, a situation where we're not like we once were before um, and have those issues. So I just like the fact that you're bringing all this up to the surface for all of us to consider because um, it's not a one size fits all situation or it's not one treatment that's going to be the magic bullet for um, the, the complexities of the woman's body. Yeah, right. Totally agree. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, I think that having a condition like the one that you have, having endometriosis, I keep trying to find this thing that will help, you know, that will change my body for the better. And I know that weight and, you know, eating too much or exercising too much or not doing enough. It's like, there, there are so many things people try to throw at you and they say, well, try going gluten-free or try doing paleo or why don't you eat more? You know, you shouldn't be running marathons. And it's, I will say it is so frustrating Mm -hmm. because you have culture and friends saying that to you and they're trying to help and they're trying to get you, you know, they want, they want you to be healthy and they want you to have, have a, a positive, you know, I don't know, physical experience. They don't mm-hmm. want you to suffer, but it's like, that's, it, it can be extremely exhausting. And that's what I hear you saying, Katie, is that you've, you know, you've, and I, I can completely relate to this because doctors can prescribe you medication and they can do surgery And they basically, that's about all they can do here. That's, Mm -hmm. that's what you get. And Hey, that helps for some things, but when it doesn't help you, um, where do you turn, you know, what do you turn to? And I, you know, I will say that pelvic floor therapy, um, which I think that's what you were getting at is that pelvic floor therapy is something, a therapeutic element that, you know, maybe it can't change the fact that you don't have a period, but can it bring relief in other areas? Yes. And improve your quality of life. Yes. And I, I just, um, yeah, I just want you to know that I, I feel your pain and I go from doctor to doctor and I go from specialist to specialist (laughs) and it just sucks. Like that at the end of Mm -hmm. the day, it just really sucks because it's like what you're left with. And I think what, what you're saying, and I know for me, it's like, well, I'm still not pregnant. And that would, that would, that has been the goal for the past few years for me before it was, I just want to feel decent and ultimately, yeah, I just want to feel decent. And so yeah. I'm, yeah, I, I'm thinking about you. Cause that's, that is, it's really hard. Yeah. Well, when you're kind of like hoping that something finally comes up, is when you know you're really frustrated because it's like, oh, well, maybe I do have a tumor or maybe I do have this. Mm. And it's like, oh, no, you don't. It's just not working, you know? Mm. Um, and I appreciate you sharing your experience too. It, it, it is like we have to get support where we find it. And mm. and I think that the pelvic floor therapy community that I found, and there's an awesome one on Instagram too, mm. that we're just kind of a women that are trying to support women. And I love that. So I think that's why it was one of the reasons why I had such an emotional response, Mm. um, to 
finding my place. That's great. What, what is that Instagram handle? Do you know? Um, well, if you just do hashtag pelvic floor therapy, there's a lot, okay. but, um, the vagina whisper, she's okay. great. Um, the, a, a couple of my teachers, your core PT, and then mm. I can look up the other one. They are awesome and they have a lot of good info. Um, I'm trying to think of that. And we can put the links up later too, when we yeah. post, post this, but, um, I, I love that, I don't know, that you have so much, when I've read your bio and look at some of the things that you're, you're doing and what you're interested in, it's, it's really cool to, to hear that there are all these kind of new areas of pelvic floor therapy that I didn't know about. Um, and it's not just, to your point, it's not just for women who've had babies, you know, or <laughs> who yeah. are trying to prepare for that. It's for women like us who, who've dealt with pain, chronic pain and, um, pain with sex. I, I kind of want to hear your take on that because I think that's an area we have talked to another physical therapist, um, or pelvic floor therapist. And we talked more generally about, um, tension and, you know, releasing tension and things like that. But I'd really like to hear you talk somewhat about how pelvic floor therapy can help women with painful sex. Yeah. So, um, could first finding the root of painful sex, is it pain on penetration or is it deep pain, um, Mm -hmm. with a full thrust? That's Mm -hmm. a big part of it. So is this more muscular or is this more at the opening? Are we not having, because you know, I think the other pelvic board talked about different layers. So is it layer one or is it layer three? Um, Mm -hmm. Is this more of a breathing issue? So I talked a lot with my patients about breathing. Is this more of a pain neuroscience issue? Mm -hmm. So kind of figuring out exactly why we're having pain and when we're having pain is a huge part of um, figuring out how to make intercourse an enjoyable thing and not just sex is awful and just you get through it because you Mm. have to um lube lubrications are very important too and i i will look that up there's actually a really great website that has all of this incredible info on different types of lube like what your problem may be Mm. and how what lubes would be good for you or it's in a chart. It's great. I love charts. So oh, yeah. I'll look that up too so that you guys can have that. Oh, um, that would be awesome. So finding the root of when and why you have the pain is the first step in treating painful sex. Mm-hmm. Uh, vaginismus, prolapse, all of that. Um, there's new research coming out about the importance of actually like menopause, pelvic floor therapy during menopause. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it can be targeted at younger women or middle-aged women, but also postmenopausal women, or even women in nursing homes, you know, Mm -hmm. if we can help incontinence, can you imagine the fall risks that we could decrease? Fall risk is huge when it comes to medical spending. And if we could have someone only get up once in the middle of the night, as opposed to six times in the middle of the night, we could decrease fall risk. And so the, um, actually PT in motion, Mm -hmm. the, in September, Mm-hmm. They had a big um, it article about how we can navigate, help women navigate postmenopausal symptoms and geriatric patients mm-hmm. as well, which I think is a really cool thing because it's not, yeah. I think, your typical patient that you think of when you think of pelvic floor. Yeah. 
Wow, that's really cool. And we we really want to talk, I mean, menopause and postmenopause are big areas of, you know, we haven't gotten to that yet, but that's definitely something that we, that's on our radar. And I think that's an important conversation. So, um, yeah, I think that's the menopausal conversation and, you know, the, the varied patient types that you can see in pelvic floor therapy is really neat. And I, we're, Diana and I are just kind of learning about that because we didn't realize that so many people can benefit from pelvic floor therapy. Um, and kind of, if you could tell us what other types of issues, not just painful sex, but what other types of issues does pelvic floor therapy address? So prolapse, uh, vaginismus. So really, if you have really tight Mm -hmm. Uh, muscles, pelvic floor therapy is helpful for that. Incontinence, both bowel and and urinary incontinence Mm -hmm. are really something that we look at a lot. Postpartum, obviously return to exercise, but just general vulvar pain, Mm -hmm. um, even back and hip pain. So I've had some patients before when I was like fresh out, I had some back patients. I could not get rid of their pain. Hmm. And I, looking back, I think the problem was I wasn't looking deeper. I wasn't looking at their pelvic floor or even specifically obturator internus, which is just one of your rotator muscles, but it's also a part of, it's a really deep muscle and to properly palpate it, you can, you can palpate it externally, but to get a really good grasp of its mm-hmm. flexibility, you need to do an internal palpation. So hmm. all that to say back and hip pain can sometimes be more pelvic floor and huh. any post-surgical issues, like whether it be C-section or vaginal or episiotomies or um, fibroid removal, any of things like that, mm-hmm. there's, your body's going to make scar tissue and we're going to need to address that. It just mm-hmm. kind of blows my mind that I see people for much less. Like wow. you can sprain your ankle and get a script in five seconds and you <laughs> can literally make a human and push them out of your body and no one thinks twice about sending you anywhere or you can have a organ removed from Mm -hmm. your body and we don't even discuss having therapy that makes no sense to me um in france you get a minimum of 10 visits after having a baby oh like it's off the bat you have 10 visits of therapy and here women i had a woman today look at me and say where have you been And I'm like, I'm so sorry. Like I'm doing a podcast tonight. I'm trying to let people know, but I treat doctors. Like I've had a couple of doctors for their shoulder or for their knee. Mm -hmm. And I'm like trying, they're obese and they're Mm -hmm. a little bit from a different generation. And I'm trying to push the fact that like, Hey, I'm a pelvic floor therapist. And I have an OB looking at me whom I highly respect. And he's just like, well, what would I send someone to you for? (laughs) I'm like, what wouldn't you send someone to me for? Uh, and, I, I think, and I don't have any referrals from him because I don't think he really understood what I meant when mm-hmm. I said I could help his patients. So education is like, I think going to be more of my job than anything. Mm. Unfortunately, well, if, if we could write scripts, <laughs> yes. I mean, we, <laughs> everybody <laughs> would get one because we're just mm-hmm. learning so much about this and we really appreciate your insight and your education for us because there, there is a lot of awareness that needs to take place around here, uh, around this issue. I, I had four C-sections. Mm-hmm. And so when we talk about scar tissue, I'm like, <laughs> I, yeah, it, it never 
once had I even been told about pelvic floor therapy, everybody's just like, go ahead, do your Kegels. And, and it's like, okay, but my body is like, yeah. And nobody really knows how to do a Kegel. They're no. like, so am I tightening or is it my, is it my ain? Like when I talk about like an anal wink or a clitoral wink, people are like, what is, I didn't know I, I could move that, that myself. <laughs> It's like, yeah, you, you totally can. I totally today. I was like, and then we're going to kind of work on, you know, your core stuff, the diastasis and where we'll move on to like more high level and when to contract your pelvic floor. And she's like, I'm supposed to contract my pelvic floor when I jump. And I'm like, yeah, you are, but you're not doing it right now. And that's what I'm going to help you with. I think just definitely there's going to be a more, um, awareness around this. I just feel it, especially within the way you're talking and the fact that um, other therapists are getting on board and learning more and being educated Mm -hmm. around it. I just sense that the tide is going to shift into this being available for women and um, to meet these needs that we have in that area. Um, It's exciting because we're like, we're right in that turn. So yeah, maybe they can talk about us one day. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the the APTA is really big. The Physical Therapy Association mm-hmm. is really big about pushing direct access because a lot of people don't yeah. understand that we have direct access in the state yeah. of Tennessee, although it is a bit more limited than other states. We're not the worst state, um, okay. but I can see somebody for a month before I need a script from the doctor. And that goes for pelvic floor too. So that's okay. all conditions. I have a month before I need a script. Oh, um, that's good to know. Yeah. So a lot of people don't realize that we have that when we train, when we transition from a master's to a doctoral degree, that was one of the things that they pushed. Oh, okay. So I do have a doctorate. I can treat you without a script mm-hmm. before. And I do, I do have limitations, but right. I have a month. So, wow. That's we, really cool. Usually what we, what I have been able to do so far is get people in with direct access and then and it usually takes longer than four weeks, but we contact PCP after that. And the PCP is like, sure, whatever it's been working. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Let's do that. Um, and they'll sign off on it. And that's all you need is the doctor to sign off on it. So. Wow. That's great. So <laughs> as you're talking about this, it makes me think about how I ended up first going to a, a pelvic floor therapist and it was because of a, um, and I think maybe this is something other women might benefit from hearing, but um, I was getting just an annual exam and I've always had like severe anxiety with going into those exams and uh, thinking it was just because I have like, there's something wrong with me mentally. Like what's, you know, I just hate it. So I clam up and I hate having, you know, the whole, the whole pelvic exam is just terrible. Um, Well, I was just in tears, like sobbing this one time it was a new doctor and he just, he looked at me and he said, we are not doing this exam. You do not need this right now. And he was like, what you do need to do is go see a pelvic floor therapist. And oh, I'm that's like, awesome. what mm-hmm. is that? You know, what, what? <laughs> I don't want to do that. It sounds terrible. <laughs> like you're a nightmare. Um, yeah. Why? And, um, so I'm like, I'm sure I'm just going to crumple up this little recommendation he made, you know, in my mind. <laughs> But I actually took him seriously because he really did care. I mean, he was, he was like, I am not doing this exam. You don't need it. I appreciated that, first of all, mm-hmm. because I have yeah, that doctors awesome. that will be like, just deal with it. You know, well, it'll be over in a minute. Um, so I just getting into my first appointment and 
you know, laying there and having a conversation with the pelvic floor therapist and her kind of walking me through um, the process and then, you know, putting the little, are they called sensors or electrodes? What are the? Yeah. So electrodes. Mm -hmm. Electrodes. Okay. So um, she put those on and she just let me see how um, unrelaxed I was just because I was, I guess on the little chart, I was like a 10 in tension. So I couldn't relax at all. Um, and, and that was uh, very eye-opening because I previously just thought I had no control over my body. And even just that moment of seeing how I could make myself relax just a little bit was pretty empowering. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to share that with you because I yeah, think awesome. it's just, I don't know, it's pelvic. I am such a huge believer in pelvic floor therapy, particularly for chronic pain, because that's my experience. Obviously it helps so many other issues, but um, can you talk a little bit about because you were talking about surgeries and sort of the, not only physical trauma from surgeries, like scar tissue and things like that, but there is also this, what I imagine to be some mind body connection between traumatic events that you've gone through, whether that's actually birthing a child, because that is trauma to your body. Oh, definitely. Um, right. And then other things like uh, diseases and issues that you may deal with or injuries. Um, do you, you talk a little bit in your bio about, um, you know, how neuroscience fits into this. Can you speak about that a little bit? Yeah. So, um, one of my favorite courses I actually went to was a pain neuroscience, neuroscience course. Um, I needed to give reference to Adrian Lowe. Um, he is in charge of the international spine, and pain institute so he's great first of all he's from south africa i think and so he has the coolest accent because now he lives in like minnesota or something but um he is doing a lot of research on pain neuroscience because the way that i learned pain in school and how you perceive pain is a theory like it's called the pain gate theory that's not so theory in itself is not a hundred percent sure of it Hmm. um we really lack a lot, really lack a lot of knowledge mm-hmm. on pain and why we perceive it. Because if pain was just a correlation to tissue injury, then everyone with a sprained ankle would feel the exact same level of pain for the exact same level of time. And there would be not be any changes in how you perceive pain. An ankle sprain would always be a three out of 10 or a surgery would always be a six out of 10, whatever it may be. But that's not how pain works. Pain is a combination of our history, our biases, our um, past experiences. It is accumulation of all these different spots in our brain. It's not just one thing. It's not just tissue injury. So uh, Adrian Lowe tells, talks a lot about that in story form because it's much easier to understand in a story than it is um, any other way. And I totally agree. So there's a couple that are my favorite. And one of them is the a train or a truck coming towards you you're walking across the street you sprain your ankle you get out of you look up you see this coming barreling towards you you get out of the way and you calm down and then maybe you realize that your ankle really hurts now your ankle the tissue injury happened 15 seconds ago when you were in the middle of the street getting having a train run towards you but you did not register that pain and process that pain because there was a bigger threat So pain is your level of perceived threat. Mm -hmm. 
the threat coming towards you was that train. The threat was not your sprained ankle. So you went ahead and you took care of that threat and now you can focus on the ankle. Huh. I really like that one. And I also like the other one he has about why pain spreads because some people will be like, oh, well, at first I hurt there and now I hurt here and it's just kind of ballooning out of control. And sometimes mm-hmm. it's nerve pain. Okay. And I can recognize that when it's following a nerve, you have nerve pain that's going down your leg. That's a nerve. Okay. But um, other times it doesn't really follow patterns like that. And that makes sense too, because it's still nerve pain. You have 400 nerves in your body, which is 45 mile of nervous tissue. So it's like this highway in your body that's all connected. I I know it's pretty cool. (laughs) We are really cool. So say you step on a nail, the alarm goes off, it sends a message in your brain. Your brain says, get off the nail. You're hurting yourself. You move your foot. Threat is removed. Everyone calms down. The alarm system goes off. Everything's fine. Um, But with people that have chronic pain, it's Mm -hmm. kind of like he calls it the nosy neighbor. So say your alarm goes off. It's late at night. Your neighbor might get up, check on you and say, okay, you turn the alarm off. Everything's fine. Let's all go back to bed. But what if your alarm just keeps going off? What if you keep having pain? You keep having pain. Well, now you have these nosy neighbors that are irritated. They're annoyed at you. They're coming over all the time. And that's kind of the way that your body responds to pain, chronic pain too. So maybe it started in your hand, but now your elbow hurts too. And now your shoulder kind of hurts and the other elbow is starting to hurt. Hmm. All of these nerves are connected. And I think it's a really cool concept to think of pain as more of a threat than it is a tissue injury because tissue heals, Mm. but sometimes you still have pain. So why, why, if it's only tissue injury, so it's really cool stuff. There's the, the, they have a podcast too, um, pain reframed podcast Mm. that is all pain neuroscience stuff. So that's really cool. That's so fascinating. Gosh, I'm just thinking, thinking about how chronic pain, dealing with chronic pain for years and years, it's like, I have these weird symptoms that I'm like, why is my, the middle of my back now hurting for the past three months? And I'm like, well, yeah. that would make sense because the pain does move around. <laughs> pain does move. Your nerves yeah. move, your body moves. Your pain is not, there's not like one spot in your brain and that's where you perceive pain and that's where you process pain. Pain is kind of all over the place. And if you look at a homunculus, that little weird thing with the mm-hmm. arms and I don't know pain's all over the place. So just because there, I don't know, just because you feel it in one place doesn't mean you can't feel it somewhere else and it's real. So I try to explain that to people without saying pain is in your head Mm. because at the end of the day, it is processed there. Yeah. So when I say pain is in your head, I don't mean that you're not feeling it. I just mean that that's where it's being processed. And so we need to look at why your brain is processing it in that way more than just what's the damage to the tissue. Wow. Yeah. That's, like, that's yeah. really good. And I think it's such a more holistic approach to pain and our perception of it than just, you know, be in, in, in the hospital, a lot of times um, there's always issues surrounding pain medication and, and treatment of patient, patients with pain. And especially if they have a chronic issue, And so to really take the time to understand and to help the patient understand how they're perceiving the pain and what it means, I think is such a more holistic approach to 
to helping them. Like you're actually providing something to them that they can then start to reconsider. I have a, um, my 12 year old daughter, when she was younger, I mean, she would get, she would get so spastic about like the smallest things. If she stubbed her toe, it was like this big whole production. And I just remember talking to her like, okay, first you have to breathe, relax. You know, you don't have to respond to pain the same way for everything. Like when you (laughs) go versus when you like fall off your bike, like it was the same response. But just like the stories that you were sharing, a lot of it is perception in the sense of how you're looking at it. Not necessarily that there's a, there's an injury that is not being healed or solved or what have you. So I, I really, yeah. I really think that's significant to the conversation because women deal with pain, period mm-hmm. pain, mm-hmm. Um, pain related to um, conditions um, and all sorts of facets of life. So this is, this is very valuable. We have yeah. this thing that happens for most women every month that causes pain <laughs> and your brain remembers that every yes. single month. <laughs> it's, it's also like when I have, when there's a rainy Monday, oh, everyone is going to be in pain that day. All my patients are going to come in and they're yeah. going to be hurting. Yeah. Uh, like mostly ortho ones, they're going to come in. My knee hurts oh, today. Yeah. It's raining, you know? <laughs> and it's more, I think your brain remembering than mm-hmm. it is not your knee hurts more today. It's yeah. more your brain saying it's a rainy Monday. So I yeah. hurt more today, but you still feel it the same. I don't mm-hmm. negate that at all. That is there. Mm-hmm. It is real. But well, thank yeah. you for saying that because it can be for people that struggle with chronic pain. It can be really a mind game just because yeah. you know this pain is coming. And for for me or for other women who have painful periods, I think that time of the month is coming, and so your body's like, I feel it amping up. You know, it's like, okay, it's coming, and it's going to be bad, and I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna have to have to kind of make these arrangements so I don't, um, I don't feel like I'm inconven- inconveniencing anyone else or myself. And it's sometimes, you know, better or worse. It it depends, but I think to, to Diana, what you were saying and and Katie, what you've said, I think pain, pain medication is a conversation that probably should, we should talk a little bit about, um, because women who have chronic conditions like endometriosis, they're often prescribed some type of painkiller. Um, and what I love about pelvic floor therapy, I'm going to continue to sing the praises. Um, (laughs) I like it. It's yes, I know. Um, it's a sustainable option because painkillers are not, they're just not a sustainable option. And I've been there. So I have taken all kinds of pain medication. Um, and unfortunately it's like my, my doctor just wants me to feel better and, I, I think that that I understand where doctors are coming from when they do prescribe, because it's kind of the, it's like, what do we do with a patient that has struggled with something for four or five years and cannot get any better? Um, but I, I really liked what you said at the beginning, which was this idea that women's issues are often not really taken seriously enough. And it's like, we can just we can help, we'll rush to help somebody with a sprained ankle, but when it comes to something internal, like women's, you know, 
actual uterine pain or ovarian pain or whatever, pelvic pain, it's this huge mystery. And it's like, okay, well, let's prescribe painkillers. Well, I just, I have a huge problem with that. And I, I feel like you probably have something to say about that. And I, I'd love to hear your thoughts on how we can move past just prescribing that and actually prescribing something like pelvic floor therapy as a real option, not just as, oh yeah, that may help you. We'll do pain medication and we'll send you to a pelvic floor therapist. Yeah. Well, when you're just masking the pain anyways, you're not really fixing the problem to begin with. So there are a couple of times where and more in other conditions and pelvic floor ones where someone needs maybe a steroid or something to calm down the system so we can get some things done. But mm-hmm. for the most part, I don't need, it's the same thing with an MRI. Like I don't need your MRI. I don't need mm-hmm. you to take all this medicine. Can Let's just try to fix this without that. Um, same thing with surgery. Like if something hurts, just take it out. That's not really how it works. And mm-hmm. I don't understand why we go directly to the most extreme. And I do think you're right though. They're, they're trying to find a solution because that's what they want too. Mm-hmm. that they're, I think most doctors, like most PTs, like, you know, we're all in it because we want to help people. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know the answer, it's like, okay, well, this has worked before. So I should probably give you this when no, there's another option. Um, we talk a lot about like graded exposure and doing things do as much as you can and then take a break, sit down, relax, maybe try to do 15 minutes of that set activity the next time. And then gradually increase the time that you're able to tolerate certain activities because you're getting your brain used to that activity again. And, um, I think we jump too quickly to the most extreme and that's a big testament to why we have such a debt in this country, a part of, in the, the medical debt is a big part of that. Um, I'm really cheap. I mean, if you look at a PT versus <laughs> an MRI and surgery and all these medications for years and years and years, I'm much cheaper. So <laughs> even if you're just looking at from, I'm pretty cheap myself. Like um, if you're looking at it from an <laughs> economical standpoint, sure. why wouldn't you send me, why wouldn't you send someone to PT first? At least try. Um, yeah. Because chronic pain actually is treated very well with physical therapy. Movement Mm -hmm. is great for the body. Yeah, absolutely. I I think the economic, you know, thing that you're talking about is that that Mm -hmm. choice is big. I mean, as we've talked to a lot of women, it's, you know, insurance doesn't cover even going to see an OBGYN sometimes. So for them, it's like this, this could be a really great option that then, and then what I love is that you can, what pelvic floor therapists do is they equip you to go do this stuff on your own. And that's, that's a, that's a beautiful thing. (laughs) Yes. Like I don't want to see someone for years and years and years. I want you to, I want to more give you the tools to do this on your own Mm -hmm. and the knowledge to know what to do. If something happens again, you know what to do to take care of it. And that is empowering women. And that's what we're all about. So We've had so many conversations just about that, um, the cost that it takes as far as treatment is concerned. And to know that physical therapy is an option before some of the more expensive treatments, I think is a good um, question to have women to start asking for it. You know, it's like when they go to their doctors, um, just asking, hey, can I 
go see a, a physical therapist beforehand to see if that helps to alleviate some of the, the pain or the issues that I may be having. Have you noticed, aside from costs, if there are any other challenges in getting women in to, to see a pelvic floor therapist? Um, I think there's a bit, I mean, there is a little bit of a taboo, whereas mm-hmm. I have no qualms about talking about my bowel movements or sex life or whatever it is. I'm not, everyone's not like that. So some people are just shy to admit that, yeah, you know, I do pee when I jump. You Mm -hmm. mean you can help me with that? Um, (laughs) I think there is a taboo aspect of it. And like we've talked about previously, you know, getting people to prescribe it is shockingly difficult. Um, And I don't understand the pushback against it, I guess. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's, I'm young, I'm just showing my millennialism or whatever, but (laughs) um, I don't understand why you wouldn't want to just send someone to therapy um, Mm -hmm. because it's an easier option for you. But um, I think those are probably the two biggest things is just, it's kind of hush hush. And for some reason we have made sex something that's like, we can't really talk about that. And Oh, what if you can't say that it hurts? You know, that would be admitting there's something wrong with your marriage or whatever, or that you have sex, heaven forbid, you know, like (laughs) it's just a little bit ridiculous that we can't talk about it. Um, and I, I don't know if maybe this is just me pondering if in other countries where it's a little bit less taboo to talk about those things and they have better outcomes as far as sending people Mm -hmm. to pelvic floor therapy. I don't know if that's correlated at all. I have no studies to back that up, but it's just something that I've thought about. Um, cause it just seems to be the taboo that holds us back. I think you're so right about that because we're just now getting to a point in, in our country where it's okay to talk about mental health. So, you know, and seeing a counselor or, you know, (laughs) so we're making baby steps, but we'll get there together. We can people. Yeah, I agree. And I'm totally a big proponent of mental health too. I had a close family member pass away from suicide. So I bring that up. I will talk about it. If people talk about suicide or um, mental health issues at all, I'm like, yes, you know, I'm affected by suicide. Mm. Do you want to talk about it? Because the more conversations we have, yeah, the better we're going to be. I do that with suicide prevention. I do that with pelvic floor because I am still treating majority of ortho patients until as I build up my pelvic floor caseload, because mm. in the long run, what I want to do is only pelvic floor. But for now mm. I have to build up my caseload. Yeah. Um, so I'm out mm. in the clinic in the gym and I'm talking about pelvic floor and I don't care who's in the room. I could have, we've got like seven people going and half of them are men and two thirds of them are over the age of 60 and I don't care. We're going to talk about vulvas. So (laughs) we're going to let it like it's here. We're going to talk about it It, because it can help men too. So why would we talk about that for everyone? That's right. Um, And so I think it's just the more we have these conversations, the more it's going to make people feel a little less weird when we do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and it's not, I love, I love what you're saying. And it's not just the woman's responsibility either, especially in a partnership, you know, whether you're with partner or married, whatever it is, but your sexual relationship is it's, you know, it's an equal playing field here. Like we have to help each other. And so I do think that's an important conversation. Actually, my physical pelvic floor therapist brought my husband in and explained what was going on to my husband so that he could understand it and help. 
And yeah. that was, that's good. I mean, that was very intimidating to do. And I will tell you, I'm, I'm sure. Yeah. Extremely proud of my husband for coming in and doing that because it's uncomfortable. And mm-hmm. I was very, it was very, very awkward at first, but then just being able to have a conversation. Um, and I share these stories because yes, they do feel very personal, but I know to your point, Katie, that the more we share, um, I, I'm just no longer afraid to share because I'm like, I know that there's 10 of me just around the corner dealing with the same thing. And, and I think that it is very, very uncomfortable at first. And I, I guess as a patient, cause I've had that, I've been on that side and I've probably done, oh, I think I calculated, I've done about 18 pelvic floor therapy sessions. So I've, I've had a lot of pelvic floor therapy and I, I know that like, it feels very uncomfortable, but once you get past that and you're able to not just open up, you know, and be like, I'm going to go do this therapy and it's this physical experience. It's also an emotional experience Mm -hmm. and something you can, you actually end up getting in touch with some other emotions and things that go on that have maybe happened in your past. Um, I know that's a big thing, obviously with not to do hashtag me too, but there's a lot going on Mm -hmm. around, you know, like what is it, something crazy, like one in four women have been like sexually assaulted. It's insane. So you do have that component as well that plays into this. And I think, you know, you, I I just think that that pelvic floor therapy, I don't want to, you know, not, I don't want to just talk about chronic pain, but say it can help so many other types of issues in our lives. And sometimes they're intermingled. Well, like vaginismus and perineal massage and all of these are actually better performed with a partner to help Mm. you do the, some of the techniques. And so teaching people how to do that is important and know that it is a team effort. Uh, Going back to like my personal experience, I remember um, telling someone that, yeah, I need to, you know, gain some weight and see if that will help me if I put on some fat. And Mm -hmm. cause I had someone be like, and acting like that was the end of the world that I would physically need to put on fat. Like wow. we're not supposed to have that for some or something. <laughs> and um, someone mm-hmm. asked me how Lincoln felt about all that, my husband. And I was like, Lincoln wants me to be healthy mm-hmm. because he loves me. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't really care if I have to put on fat. He, he wants me to do that. He is encouraging that, you know, I think it's just, yeah. we're so, um, we are nothing if we're not these like beautiful specimens mm. to of a certain degree and standard mm. and we're not, you know, but also not talking about our sexuality at all. And mm-hmm. I think there's this weird stereo like archetype for women that has been placed that we don't have to adhere to anymore. Yeah. Well, and that goes for, you know, women after they have babies, like, it's like, they're not supposed to be repaired at all. They're just supposed to, they're just supposed to deal with the, and I think that, you know, maybe that's why in Europe and I think that's a kind of a cool hunch that you had about maybe because they're a little more open about that and that it, it is important that women are able to enjoy, you know, sexual activity, even after having children, that that would be an important thing is to go see a pelvic floor therapist. Well, I wouldn't let my ACL reconstruction go back to running after six weeks. Why in the world would a pregnant woman, the woman that had just had a baby six weeks ago, all of a sudden be magically cleared to do everything? 
Mm-hmm. I don't let, I, I am someone who's had an ACL reconstruction. And I can tell you, Tina was my physical therapist and she didn't let me go back to anything <laughs> at six weeks. So I don't know why we would just do that to our moms. Yeah, that's right. Well, this is so cool. I feel like we could talk for another hour and I want to be sensitive to y'all's time because I really could just keep talking and we'll probably do an episode two with Katie. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think that'd be great. Um, I really do want to highlight star physical therapy because you guys are just, I think you guys are doing some really cool things. Um, can you tell us where you are located and kind of give people that maybe we do have some, a lot of Tennessee listeners, is star just a Tennessee? um, It is. So star was started by physical therapists in middle Tennessee. Uh, we have 65 locations. Most of them are in middle Tennessee. There's a couple, a handful in West Tennessee. So STARS model is more lots of smaller clinics as opposed to you have to drive really far to get to your clinic. Um, they have a really big emphasis on continuing education. So, and it's pick like I got to pick. So I am getting my MDT certification next year. And that's really awesome. I got to pick that. Um, we, at my clinic, I'm in the Green Hills area of Nashville. So right near the Green Hills Mall, I um, love, I get to walk to work. It's great. I work actually in an all-female clinic and we all like hang out and get along and love each other. So that's a pretty special thing. Um, It is ortho mostly, but I actually have a couple of pediatric patients as well. And I, I like, obviously, I'm trying to build up my pelvic floor caseload because that is what I would eventually like to exclusively do. Mm-hmm. But at my clinic alone, you know, we have cupping, dry needling, uh, blood flow restriction therapy, um, and as well as pain, all of us have gone to pain neuroscience courses and STAR really pushes that actually as well. They really are big proponents of pain neuroscience. So um, it's, I, I feel really blessed because we were bought out by a larger company in Houston, USPH but our owners are still more physical therapists. And so we're coming at this from a not business model as much as it is a therapist model. And I think that makes a big difference. And that's what sets star apart from Mm -hmm. other um, orthopedic clinics around. um, In my personal opinion is that, that we, they started as physical therapists and started this company and it's been so successful for a reason, I think. Wow. That's really cool. Okay. So everybody should check out star if you're in Tennessee. Um, cause they're great. And we, yeah, we've interviewed two people now that, that work for them. Um, but we, yeah, we're so thankful for your time, Katie and your insight and expertise. Um, and we're, we're really thrilled that there's a resource here and a spokesperson, you know, for pelvic floor therapy and that you're so passionate about women's health. That's, that's huge. Well, thank you guys so much for having me on. I really appreciate the opportunity. Y'all are awesome. I've I've enjoyed my time. Thank you. Thanks, Katie. Hope you have a good night. Y'all too. We'd like to hear your thoughts regarding this episode. Leave us a message on Facebook or Instagram at HerHealthEd or visit HerHealthEd.com. The HerHealthEd podcast is for information only. We strongly encourage you to talk with your healthcare provider regarding your situation. 